The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. En verdes pastos me hace descansar, junto en tranquilas aguas me conduce. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's up, Porch? How are we doing tonight? Hey, uh, my name is Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark on Sundays as well as Tuesdays here at the Porch. If this is your first time here or your last time here, I am glad that you made it. Welcome. want to just say hello to all of our Porch Live locations that are watching, Scottsdale, Tulsa, Des Moines. I know you guys are out there and several others. And then I know that some of you are just watching individually from the comfort of your living room, wherever you are in the nation or world, I'm glad that you are tuning in. Uh, I have three boys. They are 13, 11, and 5. Their names are Noah, Andrew, and Jake. And uh, here's the reality. I delight in my boys. I truly do. Like, I, I delight that they are my sons and I get to be their dad. There are things that they do that when they do them, it, it honestly, it melts me in some way. So for example, uh, my five-year-old Jake, he, uh, he jumps and skips everywhere. So you can be talking to him in the living room and he'll just be sitting there going. <laughs> and then he'll go into the kitchen like this to get a Rice Krispie treat. And I'm like, that's awesome. I can't do that. If I did that at work, Tomorrow, it would cause serious questions, but you can pull that off, and I respect that, and I love that. And then, like, I picked him up the other day, and he, like, just kind of buried his head on my shoulder, and it was the type of thing where I was like, I don't want this moment to end. You don't enjoy it nearly as much as I do, but, like, I just, I delight in this moment. And then my 11-year-old, Andrew, uh, you really have to work on him to get him to laugh. But when you get him, he collapses on the floor. And it's the best thing because sometimes he just, he just, his life can be, can feel heavy. And so when he laughs and just collapses on the ground, there's something inside of me that just explodes. It's amazing. And then my 13-year-old Noah, uh, as someone who tells stories for a living, that guy can tell a story and he can build it to a climax and he can deliver a punch in a way that I am like slapping the table laughing. And I love that. Like I delight, I delight in my son so much. And yet as I was preparing for this message, here's the thought that I had. I hope they know that. Like I hope, I hope that my boys know just how much I delight in them. And as I had that realization as a dad to my three boys, I kind of felt like my heart 
was syncing up with the heart of our Heavenly Father, and I just sensed that my Father in Heaven was looking at me saying, I hope you know that. I hope that you know just how much I delight in you. And so I just wonder if you're here tonight and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you have surrendered your life to him, you are following him, that makes you a child of God. Can you just allow yourself to sync up with the heart of your heavenly father tonight and sense him speaking into your life to you tonight, declaring, I delight in you. And the reality is some of you hear that and you don't, you don't believe it. And that's a problem. And we're going to deal with it tonight. We've been in a series just walking verse by verse. Six weeks, five weeks through Psalm 23. If this is your first week here, I'd encourage you to go back and just jump into the series and, and get caught up. But tonight we are ending by talking about the favor of God. How do you define the favor of God? Or what is favor? The best definition I've found for favor is demonstrated delight. It is delight that is demonstrated. So if favor is demonstrated delight, then the question that I have to ask myself as a dad to my three sons is, have I shown them my favor? But that's the wrong question when we're talking about our perfect heavenly father. The question isn't, has he shown his favor? The question is, have we seen his favor? Because God is showing his favor. The question is, do we have the spiritual sight to actually see it? And David, the guy who penned the most famous chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 23, which we have now heard twice tonight, he had eyes to see it. And it's amazing, David is my favorite character in the Bible besides Jesus. Like if, if you're just looking for a good book to read, like you want to read a novel that is actually true, just open up your Bible to 1 Samuel 16 and start reading all the way through 2 Samuel. You'll read through the life of David. It reads like a novel. And it's my favorite character in the Bible besides Jesus because his life is so compelling. He had really high highs, like he conquered a giant with a sling and a stone. And then he had really low lows. He slept with another man's wife and basically committed murder. He lived on the run for about 15 years because an outgoing king was trying to kill him. Four of his kids died prematurely. His daughter was raped. His best friend was killed. Like his life was full of ups and downs. And yet, as we look at the end of Psalm 23, what's he able to say? He's able to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know what that is? That is spiritual sight. That is David being synced up with his heavenly father understanding and seeing God's favor upon his life, God's demonstrated delight. 
And I just want to invite you into that tonight. If you're a child of God, I want you leaving here certain of God's delight in you. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, I want you to know God's delight is on the table for you as well. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me tonight to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we're going to be. And as we look at just this one verse, there's, there's two things that I want you to see about God's favor. That This verse is going to unpack two things for us, and here it is. First, we're going to see that God's favor is revealed. Remember, we want to see God's favor. So revealed, it, it's just a word of sight, that God is showing his favor to us. God's favor is revealed in his pursuit of us, In number two, God's favor is revealed in his presence with us. So first, I just want you to see that God's favor is revealed in his pursuit of us. What does David say in verse six? He says, surely, surely, that word in the the Hebrew, and when I say in the Hebrew, that's just, I say that simply because that's the language that the Old Testament was originally written in. So English is a translation of the Hebrew. But if you were to go and study the Hebrew, that word surely, it's the equivalent of certainly. There is confident expectation in it. David says certainly, surely goodness and mercy. We'll get to those in a minute. They shall follow me all the days of my life. That idea of goodness and mercy following David, if you were to go look at the Hebrew about that word follow, it, it's the equivalent of chasing someone or pursuing them. Like if you were to go and read through the Old Testament and you were to look for all of the times that this Hebrew word is used, it is used primarily in regard to an enemy chasing or pursuing someone. So how fitting is that that David was a guy who lived on the run for years? Why? Because he was being chased by enemies. And now David is saying, look, even more than being chased down by someone who wanted to kill me, there's something else that is coming in hot behind me. And it is the goodness and the mercy of God. That's amazing. David is saying that one of the ways that the favor of God has been revealed in my life is that God is chasing me down with his goodness and mercy. And he tells us the frequency to God's pursuit of him with his goodness and mercy. What's the frequency? All the days of my life. On the day that David lost his best friend, on all of the four days that each of his four kids died prematurely, on the day that his daughter was raped, on the day that one of his sons tried to steal the throne from him, on the day that he committed murder, on the day that he committed adultery, on the day that he knocked out a giant, on all of those days, God's goodness and his mercy was chasing him down, which is amazing. I mean, do you, do you believe that? Well, let's just talk about it. I mean, what do we mean when we say that the goodness of God is pursuing you every day of your life? What is the goodness of God? A.W. Tozier, who's 
a famous author and pastor who lived in the early to mid-1900s, he says this, the goodness of God is the drive behind all the blessings he, that's God, he daily bestows upon us. So it's awesome because A.W. Tozier is total, in total agreement with David because he says the goodness of God, it's the drive, it's the, it's the force, it's the horsepower behind all of the blessings that God daily bestows upon us. What's interesting is the word goodness that is used here is the same exact word that is used back in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the heavens and the earth. If you were to go back and read the very first chapter of the Bible, what you would see is that God slips into this rhythm of creating where he speaks something into existence and then he steps back, he observes it, and he calls it good which means that it's perfect. It is perfectly designed for humans to flourish. That same goodness, that that same creative force that was in God when he spoke the heavens and the earth into being, that same force is what is behind God's goodness in your life. So I just want you to think about this. If If there was a book that chronicled every day of your life, then according to David here, on every single page of your life, it would read, and God saw all that he did in your life that day, and it was good. God saw all the ways that he provided for you today. He saw all the ways that he protected you, all the ways that he led you, all the ways that he comforted you and strengthened you, all the ways that he sustained you and even disciplined you, and behold, it was good. Now, this is where, guys, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is where we have to have an honest conversation. Because the reason that people walk away from God it's, it, it really doesn't come down to they just stopped believing in God. You know what it comes down to? They stopped believing in the goodness of God. And I just want, I, I want to be very honest with you. I, I've shared in this series multiple times that 2022 was the hardest year of my life. And there were times during that year that I got frustrated with God. Truly. And there were times where I questioned God's goodness. What's interesting is I sat with a group of people who have all been walking with God for decades. I just sat with them within the past week. And everyone was sharing about trials in their life. And I specifically remember one of those people who's been walking with the Lord for decades just saying, I've struggled to believe that God is good even in the midst of this situation in my life. That's a real deal. That's a real, that's a real struggle because why? Because we equate God's goodness with material blessing and ease and comfort. So if life is tough and things don't go well, then we begin to question that God is good. So this is where we just have to, we have to make a decision. Can God still be good and your life be falling apart? Is that possible? 
And where I've landed is that God's goodness sometimes shows up in the form of material blessing. It sometimes shows up in the form of ease and everything is as it should be. Like, you, when I met my wife, God is good. When we had each of our three kids, God is good. When I got a new job, God is good. And yet God's goodness doesn't always come in the form of material blessing. Sometimes God's goodness comes in the form of him holding you up in sustaining you in the midst of a raging storm in life. Like sometimes God's goodness is just the fact that you are still standing. Even though you're barely standing, the fact that you're still here, the fact that you're still hanging on, the fact that you chose to live another day, that is all a display of God's goodness in your life. And so even today, like I stood down there, I needed worship tonight so much Because you know what those songs force me to do? They force me to declare, they force me to make a decision. That even when there have been things this week that have not gone how I wanted them to go, and I had to make a decision tonight, is God good even in the midst of things not going how I want them to go? And I was able to to worship with complete confidence, yes, God, you are good because I'm still here, I'm still standing. And so you just have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. Is God good or not? My encouragement to you is even in the toughest times in life, be faithful. Why? Because I promise you a day is going to come where you are going to get perspective. There's a, there's a character in the Old Testament. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and you're like, what is the Old Testament? It's basically the first two-thirds of the Bible. So if you were to go back and look at the beginning, there's a guy named Joseph who had a miserable life. You're like, well, how miserable could it be? Well, his brothers took him, threw him into a well, and then pulled him out of it and sold him into slavery. That's a bad life. When he was sold into slavery, things began to turn around for him. And then he got thrown into prison because he was wrongfully accused. So he spent two years in prison. That's a bad deal. Later, a couple decades later, he's reunited with the brothers that threw him or sold him into slavery. And listen to the perspective that this guy has. This is in verse Genesis, this is Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, as for you, talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Why? to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, here's the reality. He was sold into slavery. He was taken into Egypt. And you know what happened? God's favor was upon Joseph in such a way that even when he was in prison, he got called out of prison and then promoted to being the number two person in the nation of Egypt. And he led the country through a severe famine and he was able to provide for his brothers who desperately needed food. So he gets this perspective of like, you know what? You meant it as evil against me. But now I see that when I was thrown into that well and then you sold me into slavery and then I was put in prison, it was all the goodness of God. 
There's been times over the 13 years that Kat and I have been parents that we've made the poor choice to try and fly with small children. And uh, if you get married and have kids one day, just email me after you fly with them for the first time. All you have to say is, totally get it. Because here's the deal. When you fly with small kids, they either make you look like incredible parents or like buffoons. Like, it's, it's one or the other. You either look like a terrible parent or you look amazing. It's always a coin toss. The kid has complete control over you. When you get onto that airplane, that kid is like, excellent. Like, when they say the doors are shut, we're ready for takeoff, they're like, that's all I needed to hear. And then they lose their ever-loving mind. But here's, I still remember, this was a few years back, my five-year-old Jake, he was about a year and a half old at the time, we were flying from uh, Colorado to Dallas, just in the middle of the flight, we're about an hour in, he just gets up to the best of his ability to communicate, what he is communicating to me is, I'm ready to get off this plane now. <laughs> like up to this point, it's been great, take off was exhilarating. All of the ways you've tried to distract me with screens and stickers, I applaud you, Dad, for all of your effort. But now, I've had enough. We just need to walk down this aisle, and we need to get off this plane. <laughs> it's very hard to reason with a one-and-a-half-year-old. It's very hard to help them understand, hey, dude, if they opened up that door right now and we stepped off this plane, we wouldn't be where you think we would be. See, the reality is, is that is how we are in life sometimes. Sometimes because of our limited perspective, just like my son Jake, he had a limited perspective. We have a limited perspective and there's times in life where life gets turbulent and, and we just get to a point where we're like, God, this has been good, but it's time to get off this flight. I'm ready to be done. But what we don't realize is if, if, if we stepped off that flight then and there, we wouldn't be where we think we, we want to be. The reality is just like on that flight, we had a captain, we had a pilot who knew the destination we were headed. He knew that even amidst all the turbulence we were experiencing, he was taking us to the place that we ultimately wanted to be. The same is true with God. We have a limited perspective, and yet we have a perfect captain, pilot, who knows where he's taking us. Even in the midst of all the turbulence, even in the midst of everything that we look at and say, clearly, this is not good. God can can look and say, I know where I'm taking you, and honestly, if you could see what I see, you wouldn't change a thing. And so it's just good for us to realize we cannot see what he sees. He is good. Surely goodness will follow us all the days of our lives. You know what I love about Psalm 23? If you were to go and you were to look at the verbs in Psalm 23 you would see, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So, 
So the picture in the first half of the psalm is God is going before me. He's leading me. He's leading me. He's leading me. But then you get to the end and what does David say? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. So God isn't just leading. He's actually following. He's going before you and he's coming behind you because he cares about you. You know what that is? That is demonstrated delight. It's the favor of God. But David goes on and says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy in the Hebrew, the original language it was written in, it's the word hesed. Hesed speaks of the steadfast love of God. There's an author, his name's Paul Miller. He wrote an entire book. It's just called A Loving Life. It is a book devoted solely to the one word hesed, unpacking the idea of hesed love. And this is how he explains hesed love, which has been translated as mercy here in Psalm 23. Some translations translated as loving kindness. He explains hesed love as one-way love. It's a combination of commitment and sacrifice. I love this. It's love without an exit strategy. You bind yourself to the object of your love no matter their response. Hesed love doesn't act on feelings, it acts on commitments. It is a stubborn love. I love that. So David is saying, look, I am certain that there is this stubborn love that is chasing me down relentlessly every single day of my life, even on the day that he committed adultery, even on the days that he was leading his country through a multiple-year famine. That stubborn love, that love without an exit strategy was, was on his tail. As I was preparing for this message, I, um, I realized that I was prepping to teach something that I wasn't applying in my own life. And as I just sat there and I thought about God's stubborn love for me, it overwhelmed me just thinking, God, you have never given up on me. Like you've You've never even come close to giving up on me. And you're like, well, you're a pastor. You're like one of those professional Christians. You get paid to do this. Clearly, you do it right. No. Like, let me just tell you the thoughts that went through my mind after all the days that I, a pastor, have ignored God, after all the self-sufficiency after all the times that I've prioritized other things above God, after all the careless and hurtful words that I've spoken towards others, or the bitterness that I've harbored in my heart, or the gluttony, or the lust, or the pride, the manipulation of others, the selfishness, the attempts to use God for my own glory, not once has he even come close to giving up on me 
and not once has he withheld his love from me. Not once. Instead, he has been relentlessly chasing me down with his Hesed love. So I just want you to know that that is true of you too tonight. Like, I don't know what you think when I say all that. I don't know if you... I don't know if you will just allow the truth of God's word to cut through all of the lies that your enemy is whispering into your ear when I say these things. Like that small voice in your mind that's like, yeah, but... I'm like, it's chasing you down. He's like, yeah, it is, but not for you. Or you would be able to experience, but you failed and so you can't. Like whatever that voice is, tell it to shut up. Because the word of God, it tells us, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And so I tell you that just to say, God's favor is revealed in his pursuit of us. And then number two, God's favor is revealed in his presence with us. Look at how David finishes. This is the, this is the f- finale to the psalm. He says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when we, when we read that verse, what is our natural inclination? Our natural inclination is to think that David is talking about heaven like eternity with God. But if you were to go and read the top commentators, the top academics, and what they think David is trying to convey, you know what they would say? And I agree with them. What they would say is that that is one application of what David is saying, but it isn't the immediate meaning or application. See, when David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, what was the house of the Lord? Well, at David's time, it was the tabernacle, and then David's son Solomon would build the temple, the tabernacle which became the temple that was the house of God. It was, it was the structure that was built in God's presence actually filled a room of the temple. And so the nation of Israel would come to the house or the temple of God to meet with God. So what David is saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word forever, if you go and look at the original language, the Hebrew, it can also be translated for length of days. So David is saying, I will dwell in the house of the Lord for the length of my days. So what's another way to translate what David is saying? He's simply saying, I will enjoy access to the presence of God every day for the rest of my life. That's what he's saying. If you were to go and read the Bible from cover to cover, do you know what what one theme you would see from start to finish? It's this. God is committed to being present with his people. So if you look at the beginning of the Bible, in the third or in the first two chapters, you know what you see? You see the first human beings, Adam and Eve, they actually like walk with God. They take walks with him. And in the third chapter, you know what the greatest consequence is for the rebellion against God? They get removed from the tangible, visible presence of God. It's the greatest consequence they experienced. But God didn't leave his people to themselves. So he began to cultivate a nation, the nation of Israel. And what did he do? He had them build them 
build a tabernacle, which was a house. And when they built that tabernacle, what did God do? His presence filled a room in the temple. And when the nation of Israel was wandering through the wilderness, how did God lead them? He led them as a cloud during the day and as a pillar of fire at night so that the nation of Israel could always look and say, God is here. Jesus shows up in the New Testament. What is he called? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Jesus dies on a cross for your sins and mine. He's buried in a tomb. He rises from the dead. He ascends into heaven. He sits down at the right hand of the Father. And who does he send? He sends the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do for every person who puts their trust in Christ? The Spirit of God indwells them, which means the Spirit of God, God himself actually lives inside of you. If you were to fast forward to the second to last chapter in the entire Bible, Revelation 21, do you know what it says? It says the dwelling place of God is with man. So from start to finish, what's the message? God is committed to being present with his people. David got that. He got that. So here's what I want you to think about. I just want you to think about this. God has been with you every single second today. Does that do anything to you? The God of the universe, when you woke up this morning, he was in your room. He's like, finally. Let's get going. Like when you're eating breakfast, he's at the table. When you're working out, he is not working out. He's God. He doesn't need to, but he's still there. When you're sitting at your cubicle or wherever you sit, he is right there with you. When you were driving in your car, he was driving with you. And God's presence isn't passive. Like he is actually very involved in your life. He's strategically thinking about you. He is with you. He's listening for you to speak to him. He's trying to communicate to you. He is present with you every single moment of every day. Our tendency is to believe the lie that God is only really present during the monumental times in our lives. You graduate college, man, God was there. You got your first job, praise God, you were there. You, you think you meet your spouse, God is here. You get a ring on your finger, he's definitely here. He's only really there in the monumental times. And what David is reminding us, he's there in the monumental times, but he's also there in the mundane times. He's there every moment of every day. He's there in the highs and lows. Like he was there when I felt like I hit rock bottom in my sin right out of college. He was there when I started dating Kat. He was there when my friend passed away in Iraq. He was there when our son went into the NICU. He was there when we moved from... Austin to Waco, and when we moved from Waco to College Station, he was there when we moved from College Station to Dallas. He was there when we had a miscarriage. He was there when we have navigated some serious challenges with one of our kids. And yet, here's my fear. I don't want to wait till I get to heaven to then get perspective and realize, oh, shoot. You weren't just there in the monumental times. Like, 
You were there when I was sitting in my home office every single second of the pandemic. Like you were there every, every time I was binging Netflix. You were there every time I was driving in the car. You were there that one time I went for a run. You were there every single moment of every day, every time I had to make a decision, every time I felt down or alone, every time I didn't know what to do, every time I didn't know if I was going to make it another day, every time I wondered about my future, every time I stressed out, every time I felt like I was caring too much, every time I felt weighed down by life, every time I felt like a failure, every time I didn't feel like I was enough, every moment of laughter with my wife, every sweet moment with my kids, you were there. You know what that is? That's demonstrated delight. That's God's favor. Can you imagine how different your life would be if you woke up and realized, God, you are here and I get to meet with you? You know what we're like? So I went to college at Texas A&M University. Good to see you. And here's the deal. I would go to football games and the glorious Kyle Field holds 100,000 people. And what's crazy, I've maybe shared this with you before, but people will actually bring their infants, their kids, to football games at Kyle Field, which is crazy. But like people can be yelling like crazy in, besides last year, all the years around it, like you can see some amazing displays of greatness in power. And there are babies who can sleep through all of it. It's crazy. And yet that's what we often do every single day. God is with us. And he is putting his goodness and his greatness, his power on display. And we are sleeping like babies to his presence. Like I want to live awake. Like, I don't want to wake up and believe that God is only there for the 30 minutes that I'm at home with my Bible open. Like, when I shut my Bible and say amen, God's like, great, let's go. And he's leaving with me. And he's going to be there every second of every day. So I want to live awake to his favor in my life. It's demonstrated delight. God's favor is revealed in his pursuit of us, and his favor is revealed in his presence with us. So what do we do with this? Here's what I want you to know. There's an invitation on the table tonight for every single person in this room. Every person in this room, and I hope you don't miss the invitation, because every invitation deserves a response. If you're here tonight and you have a personal relationship with Jesus, here's what I mean by that. I mean you have come to a place where you have recognized your desperate need for a Savior from your rebellion against God. And you have come to a place where you have spoken to Jesus Christ and you have told him, I desperately need your work on the cross to count for me. If you've made that decision, then the invitation to you tonight is just recognition. It's an invitation to recognition that you would recognize tonight God's pursuit of you. That every single day is chasing you down with, your good, with his goodness. Even if today is a day where you have questioned whether you even want to live, you need to know his goodness is chasing you down. His, 
Hesed love is chasing you down. Recognize that. Recognize that He's with you. Now, don't leave this place until you do business with the Lord and, and just sit and allow His goodness and His love to spill into your life. It's an invitation to recognition. But if you're here tonight and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. You have never truly understood why Jesus is important. It's an invitation to redemption. It's an invitation to redemption. See, if you want, if you want to be able to confidently say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, here's what you first have to realize. What you first have to realize is that goodness and mercy already went before you in the person of Jesus Christ to the cross. And when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, it was the greatest display of goodness that our world has ever seen. Because in that moment, God himself left heaven and came to earth. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. And he substituted himself in our place. He was punished so that we wouldn't have to be. That's his goodness. That's his hesed love. That's a stubborn love. That he would die for his enemies. And then he would rise from the dead conquering our sin. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can leave here tonight confidently saying, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But first, you have to respond to an invitation to redemption. And it comes in realizing who Jesus is and what he's done, that he is the epitome of goodness and mercy that has gone to the cross for you. How will you respond tonight? Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. I'm just going to ask, just with your eyes closed, I'm not looking to tweak anyone's emotions right now. I just want to ask, if you're here tonight, just with your eyes closed, if, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want to put your trust in him tonight, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus, then let me just ask you to put your hand up real quick so I know exactly who I'm talking to in this place. We can just have a quick conversation. That's awesome. It's great. If that's you, you can put your hands down. And here's what I want to invite you to do right now, just right where you are. Just be very clear with God. There's no rabbit's foot prayer. But you can just tell him. Just say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life tonight? Just tell him. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead for me. Ask him for forgiveness. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I give my life to you tonight. Would you be my savior? Would you lead me in a new life as my king? If that's you, welcome to the family of God. And just for everyone in the room, 
this is a moment for you to do business with the Lord. Like, don't rush past the fact that God's goodness is here for you tonight, that he's present here right now, wants to meet with you, that his love for you is so stubborn that not even you can shake it. Would you just let him speak to your heart? Would you just open up your life to him right now? You can even put your hands out just as a demonstration that you are available to him right now. Would you just ask him to speak to you? Whatever he wants to say, just say, God, I want to hear from you right now. Would you speak to me? Lord Jesus, you are a good king. You are good. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you for how much you love us. I pray your goodness and mercy that it would just feel like you are chasing us down and you have caught us and you, you're going to smother us with your goodness and mercy. I pray that for us right now. And I just pray that your presence would be very real to us now. We need you. We love you.